As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's get ready to if you're going to go stick your head in the sand like that, get out of the sport. Mike Coppinger. Creating a huge mess. It's absurd. No, you're wrong. So it's, it's, the only, seems the like only cash grab. You need to turn up and you need to be on it. We just started going at it. You got to go eat. The Pug and Cop Boxing Show on The Athletic. Hey, everybody. We're back with another episode of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show. Hope everyone's having a great week. Lance, we have a lot to discuss today. We're going to preview the Big Call Frampton Jamel Herring fight. That's live from Dubai on Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. That's for Jamel Herring's 130-pound title, and that is a true and rare coin flip fight in the sport of boxing. We're going to be joined by Jamel Herring from Dubai to discuss the fight, and then we're also going to talk about the latest regarding Manny Pacquiao, Terrence Crawford, sticking with the Middle East. That fight's being discussed for Abu Dhabi on June 5th. Will it actually happen? Who knows? We'll get into that. We'll talk about the rise of exhibition fights with Miguel Cotto, Juan Manuel Marquez, and then Oscar De Hoya coming back into a real fight, perhaps and a lot more. And then also, we're going to preview the Uzbekistan card from The Zone on Saturday featuring unified champion MJ Akhmadaliev. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, rate, and review. Now we're going to get right into the show. Lance, happy opening day. Baseball's finally back, although I had the crushing news that my Mets will not be playing today because those Washington Nationals couldn't stick to their COVID protocol. So it's not opening day for me, but it is opening day for you and your podcast. Uh. Yes, exactly. I saw a beautiful picture from San Diego with the sunrise over to the Petco Park, and it's a, such an exciting day, uh, Mike. I mean, it's almost like uh, a Christmas morning, you know. I mean, I love baseball. I know you do too, and um, you know, wait, the fact wait. that we've got sports back is just uh, is such such a great thing. Wait, wait, wait. So you were in San Diego yesterday, Lance, to see Canelo Alvarez and Eddie Reynoso and Andrew Ruiz. Yeah. You could have just stayed in San Diego for the game, no? Yes, absolutely. But look, there's work to do. And uh, I think that that <laughs> takes priority. So, um, you know, the, the other thing too, Mike, and I know this is kind of happening throughout baseball, and I understand why they're doing it, but the ticket prices are outrageous for these games to, to be able to sit in the stadium. So, are they? Um, have, you know, they I know up? you, I know you make the big bucks, but you know, for <laughs> me, it's like, I've got a family to raise here. So I've got to, <laughs> I got to watch my pennies here. So I'll just watch it on television. Like, Wait, so have else. the tickets gone up actually, like prices? Yeah, they. I, I know for the Padres, and I don't want to misquote it since we're on the air, but I know it's something like you couldn't even um, get a ticket without agreeing to basically a 20-game 
um, um, season ticket plan. And especially for me living uh, up north, I, it was just something that was a little bit too, uh, you know, I, I wanted it. I, a friend of mine was was talking about jumping in and getting getting the plan. And I told him if he, if he does, I'll take five five or six games off his hands. But until like the the full crowd starts coming back and the prices uh, come back down to normal, I think we just kind of just got to stay on the sidelines, stay safe, stay healthy and watch it uh, from the uh, uh, safety of our couch. Yeah, I guess they got to make up for all that lost revenue from last year. So that makes sense. But uh, yeah, how was it yesterday? You were at, in San Diego at Canelo Alvarez's gym where all the yeah. top fighters train. How's everyone looking? What was your big takeaway? Yeah, Mike, I mean, it was, you know, it was really encouraging. And we'll have a couple stories that will come out of that. I think one of them will be on the culture that trainer Eddie Reynoso has has developed there. I mean, look, let's be honest. It used to be just pretty much Eddie and Canelo in the gym. Yeah. And, you know, this this whole mindset of Canelo saying that, you know, thank you, Eddie, for, you know, seeking to make me the best fighter in the world. But I view you as the, you know, as someone who can stand as the best trainer in the world. So, you know, working together, they open that gym up to these other fighters. And it's not like they're letting everyone and their brother in, uh, Mike. They're, I mean, they, they've they been, uh, you know, pretty thoughtful and talking about, let's bring in Ryan Garcia, let's bring in Oscar Valdez, you know, to tend to his defense. And look what they did with him in, in his fight against Miguel Burchell. And now they're working with the former heavyweight champion, Andy Ruiz Jr., who I had a great conversation with. This guy is... Um, definitely. You know what? I'm going to say this. He He's at a happier place, Mike, than he was in my mind, even before he fought Anthony Joshua the first time. I mean, he's in great shape. He's, uh, he's happy to be in there busting his ass, uh, you know, talking to Canelo about boxing. And I just, you know, my ultimate takeaway was just the environment of that gym and how basically to a man, everyone involved is, is thriving because of this culture that Eddie Reynoso and Canelo Al- Alvarez have developed inside there. So how much better of shape does Andy actually look in? Cause you know, I've seen photos and everything, but I haven't seen him in person in quite some time. He looks great. There's no, there's literally, I mean, look, I mean, not to be a weirdo, but you know, you look at the belly <laughs> first, right. And you know, it's, I mean, he, he talked to me, he said, you know, like I, I, I weighed more than 300 pounds. I weighed like 300, close to 320 at one point. And now that that bulge is just like you know it, it's it's definitely flattened and this guy I mean I, I I shot a picture of him but he he actually was like slow to uh, talk to me because he said he had so much so many exercises and so much weightlifting to do uh, this guy is com- completely com- committed and not only that he's doing it with a big smile on his face I think he understands you know what got away from him. Um, you know, I think any of us as human beings, none of us understand what it's like to, you know, certainly overnight be anointed the heavyweight champion of the world, the baddest man on the planet, so to speak. And for Andy Ruiz, you know, it, it was something that didn't agree with him. He was still at a point where he's he's still maturing, but he's figuring it out and he's figuring it out under some very smart guys uh, who know, especially Eddie Reynoso, who knows how to instruct boxing and I'm, you know, like I know we've been kind of like crapping on the the fact that, you know, the fans are going to have to pay $49.95 for the pay-per-view with Andy Ruiz against Chris Ariola at Dignity Health Sports Park in uh, Carson, California on May 1st. But I'm actually interested in seeing how well Andy Ruiz performs against this, uh, this slugger of Ariola and then what what lies before him. He's very excited 
uh, about, you know, the other heavyweights that he can meet. And he even said, like, you know, like, I've already won those other three belts that got away from me from Joshua. So I'm actually hoping that Tyson Fury emerges uh, from that doubleheader as, as the champion. And then I'd like to fight him for that WBC belt that I never got my hands on. So look, let's keep our eye on Andy Ruiz. I know, you know, he's kind of like betrayed our trust before, but I think he de- he deserves a, a, a nod of respect for the work that he's done to get back in the shape that he is in right now. Well, one thing I do know, having been at that gym a couple of times, is that Canelo and Eddie Reynoso do not take any bullshit. So if you're mm-hmm. not working hard, they won't allow it and they won't want you there to mess up the culture. So I agree. I think it's going to be great for him. And certainly a lot better being with Eddie Reynoso, I think, than being with Teddy Atlas. They were talking about that at first. I think that was the wrong fit. Now he has the right fit. So let's see. I ho- hopefully, you know, he, he beats at Chris Ariola and looks the way he's supposed to. He's a big, big favorite. And we have another player that remains in the heavyweight division. It's good for boxing. Um, Lance, moving on. Frampton Herring, you know, per bet MGM, Herring's not the favorite. A lot of mo- light money coming on, on Herring. Herring's now minus 120. Call Frampton plus 105. What do we think here? What's the smart play? Well, you know, look, I like Frampton. I like Frampton for the maybe the obvious reasons, Mike, but obviously, I think when you, uh, at times, perception is reality. And the thing is, is that the way that Jamel Herring behaved at the end of that fight against Okendo is troubling to me because we know, I mean, we've talked to Carl Frampton. He was on the show last week and, and you you can just hear the passion oozing from his voice about how badly he wants to stand as a, as a three-division world champion. Carl Frampton is going to bring a significant pressure beyond what a kendo brought to Herring. And how is Herring going to deal with that? And I just feel like, you know, Frampton as he eloquently talked about, you know, has had a lot of a downtime to really rest his body and, you know, to to prepare for uh, the southpaw that he's going to be dealing with on Saturday. And I just think that this is this all sets up perfectly for a Carl Frampton victory. I don't I don't think I think that Jamel Herring has had a, a great run. He has, you know, it's been remarkable how he's come back from being a a marine who served this country twice in two tours in Iraq and then, you know, came back from being basically a B-side fighter in PBC to stand as a world champion. But I think that that feel-good story ends um, uh, at the hands of Carl Frampton. Uh, what, what's your thoughts? I mean, what, what am I missing here uh, other than Herring's size and his, his potential to, you know, inflict some damage from, from distance? I, I mean, I think this fight is a true coin flip. I, I can see great cases for both guys to win. Look, Frampton hasn't looked great in recent fights. He's certainly not the Frampton of old, the one that was the 2016 fighter of the year with the win over Leo Santa Cruz. I mean, he's now 34 years old. Obviously, that's kind of over a smaller guy. This is a guy who was his best weight was 122. He didn't look great against Tyler McCreary. He lost to Josh Warrington. But Frampton is a better fighter than Jamel Herring, um, everything being equal. Herring is bigger, much bigger, and he's fresher, even though he's a year older at 35. But being that I think it's a coin flip, I have to go with the value. So Frampton plus 105, that's got to be the play. Yes, and it's going to be very interesting, Mike, to see what the winner does with that belt. Do they do they retain that belt? Do they vacate that belt and and set their uh, eyes on something else so Shakur Stevenson can have a a crack at it? Uh, it's going to be it's going to be quite interesting, and I think that you know we'll know probably in short order after the bout what those go what that winner will do. We know yeah. that Frampton has said if he loses, he's going to uh, retire. Well. Yeah, if we're, if we're considering, once again, what's great for the sport, 
it's better for the sport if Frampton wins. He's a big star in Ireland, and Frampton versus Shakur Stevenson is a, a massive UK fight for later in the year. Herring mm-hmm. Shakur, that's not a big fight, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but it should be a really good fight. I think it's great to have more fights in other territories, whether it's Asia or the Middle East or, as we mentioned earlier, Uzbekistan. So we have a big fight in Dubai. It's the first title fight in Dubai ever. So that'll be this Saturday in the afternoon on ESPN+. Plus. But now we're going to hear from the man himself. We're going to be joined by Jamel Herring. He's the 130-pound champion. He's had a bunch of title defenses at this point, and he's very confident. He's the favorite right now for BetMGM, and he got to Dubai over the weekend. So, Jamel, welcome to the show. First off, I know it was a long, long flight from the U.S. over to Dubai. How was it? How are you feeling getting over there kind of late? Um, for me, actually, the flight was actually relaxing. You know, it wasn't it wasn't turbulent and things of that nature. You know, I got plenty of rest, and I was just you know just just enjoying the thought of even you know being finally getting to fight week. Now, I say kind of late. I'm not an expert on when someone should get over to a country. I, I just meant that Carl Frampton's been there a few weeks now. You got over there a couple of days ago. What is your theory? Because I know you've had plenty of competition in the amateurs internationally. Obviously, you're a military guy. What do you think is the ideal time when it comes to adjusting to the time? Um, I, probably, like I said, um, 10 days out. That's what I was, you know, I was all told at least 10 days out or so. And I, I probably came maybe a little bit, a little bit under that. But, um. I'm here, and I'm just, you know, like I said, I, I, I haven't had any effect, thank, thank God, none of the jet lag and everything of that nature. So, you know, I'm, I'm just, like I said, we're here, we're finally here, and it's time, it's time to go to work. Yeah, Jamel, I mean, it's been really interesting following your career. It feels like you're a guy that's always underappreciated and counted out, and you've been a champion for a few years now. You've had a good run at 130 pounds. It's a really deep division. This has to be feel like a culmination for you, right? I mean, this is by far the biggest fight of your career. You're fighting a big name in the sport in Carl Frampton and a win here. And I think everything's going to be even different going forward. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, yeah, like you pointed out, Mike, I, you know, I don't really get into that with um, what people, people say. I think at the end of the day, your resume and your legacy will speak for itself. So that's why I don't really go on, you know, rants about not being appreciated. I just, you know, just taking one fight at a time and like, and with this fight, I know that bigger and better things will come, but I'm just, like I said, I'm just grateful to be here because at one point in time, no one really cared to even see me get in the ring again anyway. So, you know, just to be now in the moment of a big fight, that just, you know, I'm just happy. All right, Lance, let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. For you, Jamel, I mean, the common line of thinking, I believe, on this fight is that Carl Frampton's going to bring a lot of pressure, and people are looking back at your last fight against Jonathan Akendo and maybe making some comments that you didn't deal very well with that pressure. Talk to me about that line of thinking. Is it flawed? Is it accurate? Um, where do you stand on it? Um, I think I believe it's a little bit flawed because, um, like we like we were speaking earlier before we started um, recording, 
I was going, I was a victim of the pandemic. You know, um, that took a huge toll on me. You know, you got, you, you got seen it. I, I mean, look at when I won the world title. Edo, Edo was coming. He was bringing it, and I was just being me. I was, you know, playing, just playing the role of the, the, the matter, you know, the matter goal, You know, just, mm-hmm. and just boxing, and I was, and that's because I was one hundred percent healthy and, and sharp. With the, um, with the Okema fight, you know, I was not only fighting a rugged opponent, but I was fighting all the effects of what I was going through in terms of the COVID. Um, and like you said, um, for Beckin, you see him coming come with the COVID-19, mm-hmm. how, how he looked. Um, even, you could probably even even question if, if Miguel Bachuk was at his best before Oscar Valdez due to him being a victim of the, of the pandemic. And nothing against Oscar Valdez. Oscar, Oscar fought a great fight, but... yeah. Every fight, you definitely that the um you know corona the coronavirus definitely takes a toll on you and you know I I had to feel that firsthand but I'm just glad to finally be here and you know be here at 100 percent and help you. Yeah, I mean obviously as you head into this fight, you're going against an opponent who is uh, seeking to become a three division world champion. He's even said you know has gone as far as saying if if I don't win, I'm going to retire. How much respect do you have for Carl Frampton? And beyond what you just said about your thoughts of why you'll perform well in this fight, what else is it um, that is your path to victory? I have tremendous respect for Carl Frampton. Carl Frampton is a two-divisional world champion, um, a 2016 fight of the year. And me, as a boxing fan, I, I, I am a fan of Carl Frampton. So, um, But I believe when you, when you speak like that at times, you, are, you already have one foot at the door, as they say. Mm. And regardless... Um, you know, what happened Saturday, I believe that Carl, you know, Carl has had a great career and I give him that respect. But for me, um, like Mike pointed out, a win here, you know, I still wouldn't go for those other those other big those big fights in my own career. So and that and that's what drives me. That's what that's what keeps me going. I haven't thought about oh, if I lose what I do no. I, I see myself, you know, winning, but I, I have to be at the same time I'm gonna I'm gonna be smart and I'm gonna do it, you know, gonna do it the correct way. Take about round, but one round at a time, one round at a time. Smart. Jamel, you said earlier that there was a time when people didn't even care that you were fighting. And I'm sure that, you know, it feels good now to be in a different spot. And Lance and I have both been critical of Top Rank for numerous things, but I think Top Rank's done a great job with you, honestly. Thank because, you. Because you were with PBC and you were, frankly, right, you were, you're fighting in, as a B-side in co-feature fights at 135. And it didn't seem like you were really going to go to this kind of place. Then you go with top rank, you go to 130, and you've been built into a, a name guy, a guy fighters uh, fans know, and a guy who's now in a big fight on the precipice of something much bigger with a win. Can, how great has top rank been to you? How, how has it been going from PBC to top rank? Um, you know, let me just first start by saying that I, have, I still have a lot of tremendous love for um, Al Heyman and the PBC because they gave me an opportunity. You know, even coming out the Olympics, they gave me they gave me a chance. They gave me a chance. I believe, and I always say to everybody, you know, because you, you see it all the time, Mike. Every day, everybody has these boards about which which you know um, which promotional body is better than the other. And I, I believe it is it, all about where you fit in at. Like for instance, my teammate Earl Spence, he's a welterweight. We know the PBC has you know a huge bulk of that division on their on their side. So of course, if you're a welterweight. You would want to probably be in the mix over there. For me, um, I remember going to them, and I, and I, you know, I wanted to. I was expressing about moving down and, and weight in terms of one thirty, but at, at the time, they didn't have much of you know of 
possibilities and opponents for me to to take on around, around that time. So, and I believe with top rank, you know, at that time they had, uh, they still do have a huge bulk of the, the division and it was just, a, it was the right fit for my career. So that, you know, that's why I always, you know, give thanks and credit to them because like I said, I was coming off a defeat when I signed with, with, um, with top rank. And like you point out, I was going to the B side, you know, nobody, I wasn't, I wasn't getting ESPN coverage or anything, anything like that at the time. You know, I, I I was had I was lucky enough just to get you know maybe a few articles about you know who I am and what I was doing, but you know when I went to top rank, as you can see, they they um they showcase more of my military background with my um to, to promote my fights and you know I don't I'm grateful and I'm really grateful um for what they've done with, with me in my career. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think it is all about fit, and I think it's not too much unlike sp- team sports where sometimes guys maybe like you or anyone else need a change of scenery. And right. I think it's really rejuvenated you. It's been great for you. And now, look, no disrespect to you, but obviously Carl Frampton is the more accomplished fighter, right? right. He's the, a former fighter of the year. He, you know, he's been in a lot of great wars, the Leo Santa Cruz fights, but you're a bigger guy. You're the fresher fighter. And this is a rarity in boxing. So I'm going to surprise the listeners, but the, the betting lines, I think it's about even. I checked some, some lines. You guys are dead even in some, minus 115 a piece. You never, ever see yeah. that in boxing, unfortunately. This is a coin flip fight. I mean, what is going to make, what is going to be the deciding factor? I mean, Mike, I mean, there was no disrespect what you said. That's the reason why I went to this fight. You know, you, every, I don't care what people say, every fighter dreams, or, or, or at least in my opinion, dreams about being in the big fights. You know, this is what we get into the sport for. I mean, of course, yes, you'll see the, the, some say they get into it because the, the financial aspect of it, but when it's all said and done, nobody really remember. Nobody's going to really care how much money you made, you know, in, in, in the sport. They're going to think. They're going to talk about the fights you've been in, and then you know, and how, and how your resume stacks up with the others, and maybe you know, in, in boxing history. So, and like I said, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just honored because you just mentioned I, I was, I was coming from God being in the B side, and now I'm in the fight where. The odds are like, you know, they're, they're right there. There's not, and again, against a guy who has more established than me. So that, that just says a lot of uh, even when I came, even for my last performance, I know my last performance was hell. Um, like I said, trying to, trying to fight off a virus and me thinking being a true old school throwback champion, I was saying, you know what? They gave me the option of saying, you know what, Jamel, if you want, you can just sit out for the year. But me thinking, no, I'm going. I'm going to go out there and defend my title because remember, remember at one point in time when Top Ring had the, the bubble series, I was literally the only world champion at the time defending their title. A lot of the guys that were champions on the, on the roster, you know, they were taking maybe tune up. I mean, you know, tune up or, or, or different catchweight fights, even, including Miguel Bachel. But I even when I got to the bubble, I remember I made weight and then I came back the next day to say I, I, I was I was positive for COVID. I had to go back home. I couldn't go. No, I couldn't even go to my home, home to my family because I didn't want to, expo- uh, you know, potentially expose them to anything. So during that time, you know, I stayed in training camp and still trying to maintain weight, still trying to stay in shape. And like, remember, like people don't know, I, I was training from like from April, end of April, all the way to September for one fight. So that basically took a toll on me. But I'm just actually grateful to still be an opportunity to still, you know make changes and show people that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the Jamel who won the world title, you know? So I'm just, like I said, that's why you always see me on full of life and I'm happy. Like, I don't, I don't have, 
I don't have a lot of hate or disdain just to people who, you know, they call me everything in the book after that fight. Let's be honest. But I never, you, know, you guys see it. I never Sorry went out that. on social media and, you know, lashed out or made excuses. I just said, okay, you know what? It's over with. All we can do is make adjustments and come prepared a lot better the next time around. And by the way, all odds on the show presented by BetMGM. Uh, Jamel, Tim Bradley, who you know well, was probably the most critical of you. And yeah. I do give a lot of credit to Tim in general because I think it's very hard to be a former athlete and be critical because you want to be friends with the fighters still. But you also want to do your job. How has that affected your relationship with Tim, if at all? Um, now, if you ask my wife, she she's still upset <laughs> with Tim and Brad. But yeah, Jenna Jen is still upset. But for me, Tim was just doing his job. Um, I don't I didn't take it to heart. Um, that thing, yeah, I'm a U.S. Marine, so we're 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 used to instruct instructive criticism, as I would call it. So all you all I did was just take from what was said. Um, and say, okay, you know what? Let me get it together. Let me let me let me get it together. Let me work on some things. Let me come back and let me just prove that what you've seen it wasn't the last appeal of me. And, I, and I, that's the one thing about me. Also, I didn't want people to have that last you know vision of of what they see in September of me. Even though, like I said, people also forget though I was winning every round of the fight on the, on the but, but but the judges I put the man down like I was clearly getting I was clearly getting headbutted. Like what more do you like? Like it's one thing like. And then I, I had all the medical proof. I had a, you know, my eye lens was scratched to, like, to the point where they thought I had a broken orbital bone. And for some odd reason, it's like the broken orbital bone is, is, is a, is a, has become a, a, a occasion in boxing lately in terms of fighters. So I'm just glad I wasn't a victim of that, even though they, they, they thought at first I had, you know, I, I had a broken orbital bone. But, you know, like I said, um, I went home. I had just spent time away from, you know, boxing for a while regrouped, enjoyed life again. And then I, when I started watching it as a fan, I started getting that hunger again. And, like, I pressed to make this fight. I could have just said, you know what, forget the friendly fight. Let me move on. No, I pressed to make this fight. I, You guys seen it. I even – how many world champions that a title has a title was willing to go overseas to anyone's country? I was willing to go to Belfast, to his backyard in Belfast. Okay, when, when that fell through, they, they said, oh, you got to go to the U.K., I never once complained, never once made the whole diva no, notions. And I said, okay, I guess we have to go to the UK. I've been to the UK. It's not, it's, it's nothing for me. I'll go back. Then that had, then, you know, then his, his, um, you know, troubles had popped up, of course. And I didn't complain in because I understood where he's coming from. Because like I said, I've been in a position obviously where I had to deal with postponement. But like, I don't, like for me, you guys see, I don't take things very personal or, you know, like I said, because tomorrow's a new day. And I look at it like that. All I can do is just regroup and just, you know, just continue pushing forward. That's great, Jamel. We really appreciate the honesty. I mean, honestly, I think that everyone that watched that fight wanted to know exactly, like, what was Jamel feeling? You know, what was going on in there? And to explain it that thoroughly, we really appreciate it. Uh, we, think, we, and, go and, ahead. And Lance, yeah. add on to that, I think, I think if anything from that fight, I was more, like, heartbroken from what people were saying. Not mm. because of how I looked or how it ended when people were judging me as a, a Marine and you guys mm. know my backstory. Like I've yeah. been through everything. You know, I've, I've suffered, I, you know, I lost it. My, my daughter, right. I lost best friend. I lost the best friend. So it's like, you know, I've been through far worse, but yet I always still climbed out of that hole and, you know, and, and rose to the occasion. So when people's 
you know, just question, you know, my, my heart or, or my, you know, my mental as a Marine. That I think that for the most part really bothered me the most of anything. Like, I mean, things happen in boxing, but when people started judging my character, I think that hurt the most. But at this time off, I just, you know, said, you know what? I still have, I still have that chance, opportunity to prove people wrong. And I, I've done that my whole career. People thought I was going to be Edo, and we see how, how easily I made the fight look. It wasn't easy because I put the hard work in, but I worked so hard that it, it, it appeared that way. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, two tours of duty in Iraq um, starting in 2003 um, out of Camp Lejeune. I mean, I think we and everyone who's watching the show really appreciate your, your you know service to uh, the United States of America. Thank you so much. And I don't mm -hmm. think that, you know, what happened that night against Akendo had anything to do with um, who you are as a person. I, I wanted to ask you one thing, though. Um, we had Shakur Stevenson on earlier this week, and he was saying that there's the you know, there, it seems like top rank is trying to get him to a belt. And he mentioned a possibility of maybe if Jamel wins, he would consider moving up and vacating that belt. Is there any uh, chance that that happens? Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't know. Um, they're, 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 you know, that has popped up. Um, I actually spoke with even my advisors over at MTK recently um, about, because they looked at me like, yo, you, you're a massive dude. That's, that's what they were. You're a big guy. Yeah. Like, Maybe we can go for a run at, at lightweight, but um, I would, I still see that, that there are you know good fights and big fights to be made as for federal division, and if I take care of myself as possible, I mean, one for instance, you know, Oscar Valdez is, is I, I I give him the respect. I believe he's the man. He's the man mm -hmm. right now. Right. He, he beat he beat he beat the man. You gotta give him that respect. I'm not one of those fighters that say, oh well, he's a bum or he got lucky or if that was me. No, give him his credit. I give credit to what credit is due. And I and, and, and right now, I believe with Top Rick also, because Oscar's a Top Rick fighter, maybe that's a possibility that that can happen some way, somehow. But um, um, like I said, I have, I have, I know I have options. I definitely have options. But for me, um, Mike Lance, and look, me, um, like I said, my dream is always to become the lineal champion of a division. Because we live in it, we live in an era where there's so many belts. If we're being honest, there's too many belts. So you you always get to the debates. Who's number one? And if you want to, if you want to, you know, be known as number one, you got to fight the man up top. And I believe for that lineal title, and that's just something that I, I believe in. As a, like I said, as a throwback fighter, that's just who I am. Um, I don't want to leave the division without possibly like out because I've been chasing unification since I got the belt. You know, since I got the WBO title, and hopefully things, you know, things go my way. I would love to fight, you know, any unification matchup. If not. My goal is still to, to grab another world title if, it, if it even you know, if I have the opportunity to become a two divisional world champion. Yeah, hey, Jamel, hey. you said. Go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Jamel, you said earlier basically that you wanted this friend to fight badly, and I think you were underselling it because I don't think fans realize how hard you had to fight to make this Frampton fight happen. The fight was supposed to happen in Belfast in June. Pandemic came, pushed it off. Like you said, you were willing to go to the UK. Then, of course. You know, top rank comes in the WBO, whatever, whichever one it is, says that you need to fight Shakur Stevenson now. And you said to them, and correct me if I'm wrong, no, I'm not doing that. I already gave my word to Frampton. I have an obligation. I'm going to go through with that fight first. And there was a lot of back and forth behind the scenes. Yes, of course. I mean, I'm a man of my word. Even if even if I know that I can't control what happens on with, with sanctioned bodies and my promoter, but you know, I just want to say, I, I just actually, actually want to thank top. Frank and everyone for being patient, including the WBO, because they could have easily said, you know what, you guys had long enough to make this fight. 
let's let's move on to the next thing and can pull the pull from under my under my feet. So yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just like I said, people. Yeah, you might probably might right. My people don't really understand how how badly I wouldn't make this fight. Um, but because I, I my thing my my mental process going into this fight was because of this, and I got I'm glad you guys brought that up. Um, back in 2019 when I won the title. Of course, you know, you've seen when Miguel Bichel hopped in the ring and basically called for the unification matchup. In my mind, I thought that was next. So I was like, okay, whatever. You know, I was preparing myself for an even tougher fight and Miguel Bichel at the time. So, I, But I was all for it. And then, you know, whatever happened on his side, we didn't get the fight. But we, if you look at the timeline, we fought a week apart. I fought the mind. I think, I think. Um, he fought Jason J- um, Jason Sosa the week before I fought Lamont Roach. So you would think, us being with high rank, that we were aligned to make that fight again. And then after after we both got our victories, boom, I, you get the rumors of uh, Oscar Valdez and Bichelle. And I'm like, man, like, I'm thinking about what people are going to look at the division now and, and down the road. And when you look at history, like, man, Oscar, you know, Bichelle had his, had his mega fight. But here I am. I didn't have a, a, a huge dance partner, and that's when the whole aspect of Carl Frampton came about. And that's why I, I continued to pursue that fight because I needed that 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 big name on my resume to to you know to, to stand up there with the Bichelts and Oscar Valdez in terms of a super featherweight division. You know, I could have easily been a guy that's been taking just the you know fighting guys in the top fifteen or WBO or whatever. But no, I, I wanted to get that that name on my resume. Yeah, for me, Jamel, I mean, we touched on Carl Frampton's thoughts about possibly retiring in defeat. And for me, too, I I would think about, like, your own contentment in your career. I mean, let's be honest, what you've done in serving our country, uh, in marrying your childhood sweetheart, in, you know, having six children, uh, and standing as a world champion boxer. If you beat Frampton, there's a lot to be content about. Uh, Why would you not be, and why would you want to keep moving on? Um. You know, like like Lance, you you've seen you've seen the road I had to go through. Even as a US even as a US Olympian, I didn't get the easy road. Like uh, like Mike can point out, I was still on the on the B side of things. Even as a even as a twenty twelve Olympian, you know, I wasn't that guy I spoke about. You know, I wasn't the Jojo Diaz, the Jose Ramirez, the Errol Spencer, and those guys that, that was, you know, that already had their paths mapped out for them. You know, I had to still, you know, fight in the venues when they were maybe just your corner and a few relatives in the, in, the, in the crowd. So for me, and then on top of that, after let's be honest, after the shower caught the feet, they thought I was done. You know, like I said, I, I, I tell I tell everybody out there, I took a beating in that fight. You know, I took a beating, and people thought any any other any other common man, they would just walked away from it. But no, not me. No, not me. Um, that's just not who I am. I'm, like I said, um, I was I was built different, even um, with my last fight with the TBC. Um, I felt that I, I, I felt that I didn't get the fair shake, but I didn't let it get to me. And, you know, when I went to the top rank, I understood I had to, you know, start basis from the ground up again. But, you know, I was willing to do that. I was willing to do that because when people, I was, I was like I said, I, I was so deep into boxing history. When people look at just Olympic classes alone, they always say, but okay, what happened? What did this fighter do as a pro? What did this fight? I didn't want to be that guy that'd be like, well, he was a decent amateur, but he didn't really do much in the pro ranking. So I, right. I, I had to go out there and I had to get my title. And then I was, I, I believe firmly in um, tradition as you're not a world champion until you, sus- uh, until you defend your title. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to defend my title against a young, 
undefeated, you know, highly toted prospect in Lamont Roach. And, you know, I, I like to say I love Lamont Death. I just ran into him um, a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, I was glad to get that type of fight under my belt because, you know, um, a lot of people in today's world, they get the belt, and the next day the belt is gone. <laughs> so that, that meant a lot to me. Then I was like, okay, what can I do next? Then, you know, I have to get that big fight. I still want that Bertel fight. I want the unification. I want, you know, my, my, my dream has always been to um, fight for the um, Millennial Ring Magazine title. That's always, been my, that's always been something for me, big for me. So I was chasing Miguel Bachel for that because I and I knew it was a dangerous fight. I never once will say that, oh, he 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 ducked me. And I don't I don't get into that. You know, I, I believe sometimes with, with today's boxing, politics and, and business comes first before anything. And the bank thing, and I was and I always say this, if I was a, a, a weak champion, everybody would have been gunning for my title. But you know, I, I've been that guy that, you know, people kind of like, you know, a little hesitant of, you know, making that making that run. So, but, um, you know, I'm grateful that Carl Frampton came along and said, you know what, I'll fight him. And that's why, that, and that's one of the reasons why I was going to go and give him that respect because I, I, I always looked at what Carl did as a fighter himself, two divisional world champion. But that's one of the reasons why I said, I'll go to Belfast to give him that respect because he's achieved way more than I have and I will give him that respect. So that's, that's how we, that's, and that's, that's just the fighter that I am today. And that's why we're here now. Jamel, we really, really appreciate the time. Looking forward to Saturday. It's a special night for you, and I'm sure it's even more special fighting in Dubai. First wild world title fight there ever. Can't wait for the fight. Thank you, Mike. All right, Lance, let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. All right, thanks again to Jamel Herring. Sounds like he's ready, and if you want to follow along, he posts a lot on social media. He's one of the best Twitter followers. Sorry, I'm going to say that again. He's one of the best Twitter follows. Follow him along. Mm. He's one of the best Twitter follows. Follow along on Twitter at Jamel Herring and also on Instagram at Jamel Herring. Lance, uh, look, I think Herring hit all the right chords in that interview. He's definitely supremely confident, but this is one of those rare fights where both guys seem to have a ton of respect for one another. Just two good guys. And as Top Rank Publicist calls it, uh, as Top Rank Publicist Evan Korn has been calling it, the good guy Super Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I mean, I think no matter who, you know, comes out of this fight, I think both of these guys have a future in broadcasting because they just bring this sincerity that, you know, the fight fans enjoy hearing. I mean, I I, I praise Jamel for, you know, talking about the damage that he suffered um, due to the headbutts against Okendo. And I think this is kind of the real world explanation, the honesty that, you know, fans are looking for. And so each of these guys have brought that. I mean, with Jam- with uh, Carl Frampton talking about, if I don't win, I'm, I'm retiring. And Jamel Herring talking about, look, I know what you think of me, but I'm going to redeem myself in this fight. Bring it on. I mean, uh, for me, I, I mean, this is what we're looking for, this hyperbole and this, you know, phony um, opponent criticizing. It's just, it, I don't like it as much as I, as I enjoy when fighters like this can keep it real and uh, both of these guys keep it real. It should, I, I'm so happy that we, we are getting another 50, 50 fight because, because it can be so rare in the sport. And the fact that it involves these two men in a very interesting division is something that is definitely worth uh, checking out. That's a great point. Lance. I could definitely see both Jamel Herring and Carl France with a future in broadcasting. You're right. They're very honest and open and they, they know how to articulate their thoughts. Well, so I think, uh, yeah, it's something to consider for both of them, I think. 
Um, by the way, Lance, I'm looking on Twitter right now. Apparently, there was an earthquake in Southern California a few hours ago. Did you feel this? I didn't feel anything, Mike. I felt nothing. I was sleeping. And we're both mm. we're both by the water right now, too, right? Yeah, I'm I'm right so by the water. That's, yeah. u- that's usually where it, where, where we where it feels. What, what did it say? Uh, where the epicenter is, or where it was? Uh, located? Huntington Park. I I never even heard. Okay, of yeah, Park. over by LA. Yeah, three point two. It's kind of a baby earthquake, but uh, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, and it's always funny when the earthquakes start. For people who haven't been in earthquakes, you really don't know in that first split second if it's a big one, because when the jolting starts, like oh wow, like. You know, and then obviously, like a second later, when it's not jolting that much, you know. Am I wrong here, Lance? Because like there was one, probably six, seven months ago, where it was jolting pretty, pretty good, and I was like, "Wow, this might really be it." For like the first, <laughs> like half second. Right. Oh yeah, like, definitely. I-, I mean, when you start seeing things moving around in the house, it's it's always frightening. Uh, just to, to to bring in a boxing reference, Huntington Park is actually the home town of uh, former uh, super bantamweight world champion Israel Vasquez. So mm. let's hope that Israel is, and everyone else over there is uh, doing okay. Israel and it was not too severe. Israel Vasquez is actually going to be on the uh, trailer broadcast of Jake Paul versus Ben Askren as one of the Spanish commentators. So um, cool. Speaking oh, of Mike, hey, Mike, I totally forgot. I just wanted to say congratulations for you because I know you're going to be part of that broadcast team as well. Um, you know, headed Thank by you. Ray Flo- Ray Flores with Al Bernstein, two quality individuals, two hardworking guys, and obviously, you know, they've added a third hardworking guy with with yourself. You know, look, I think the fans will um, uh, should be very you know appreciative that we have such smart boxing people involved in a in a show that you know, like I think there's still that curiosity factor of like how how deep is is Triller going to get into boxing? And when, the, you know, you you talk about some of these fights they're making and some of the talent that they're bringing onto the broadcast team, you can see right right from the start that they are taking this very seriously. They are uh, respecting the sport as it should be respected. And I think that's going to be a, it's going to be a hell of a fight and a hell of a broadcast. I'm really looking forward to it. As, and I'm really, really happy for your success. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. It should be a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing, right? Jake Paul is a YouTuber, but he takes boxing seriously. Anyone you yeah. ask, they'll tell you that he's been sparring real guys. He's actually pretty solid for where he's at as a, you know, a guy with two pro fights and no amateur career. Uh-huh. Um, I've talked to a lot of fighters about him and they all say, Hey, Jake Paul has hands. So, uh, that should be fun. And look, we have Regis Progre on the undercard. Um, Regis Progre, obviously one of the best fighters in the sport. Uh, him and Ivan Redcash. Look, Regis is obviously a big favorite, but I think that's going to be a fun fight. And so the concert, I, I, I'll i be honest. I went into that trailer broadcast of Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. with very low expectations. And I was pretty impressed with the production level and oh, yeah. the musical lineup. I mean, the music was a lot of fun. And the lineup's really good on April 17th. Justin Bieber, Black Keys, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, yeah. E-40, Too Short, Diplo, Major Lazer. So... Should be a lot of fun, Lance. And, Doja uh, Cat. Doja Cat, yeah. Definitely Doja hey. Cat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And, I, you know, I think the trailer is showing that they're serious about boxing by doing the Tiafimo Lopez-George Cambosis fight, you know, in a little bit here in the summer. That's going to be a – that's a big fight, I think. I think it would have been a big fight for ESPN, but I think it's a little bigger now with all the turmoil and everything that happens. And it's been cool to see – how much Triller has really promoted that fight so far on social media and everything. They definitely Absolutely. take a different approach. Yeah. I mean, you can feel the excitement too from Tiafimo is definitely excited about it. You know, now Oscar De La Hoya, like you said, is uh, jumping into it. So um, there's a lot of 
things to be keeping our eye out for, uh, you know, what Triller does in this in this sport. It's going to be very interesting. Now, Mike, um, speaking of your hard work, I mean, you busted ass again and got us a lot of good information about progress being made toward Manny Pacquiao versus Terrence Crawford. What can you tell us right now at this hour about where that fight stands and how likely do you think it is of actually occurring? Hmm. Where it stands right now is Top Rank has already reached out to ESPN and In Demands, who's the pay-per-view provider, say, hey, look, we're looking to do Manny Pacquiao, Terrence Crawford on June 5th in Abu Dhabi as the capital of the UAE. Now, as always, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's dealing with Manny Pacquiao, right? And Manny Pacquiao is right. linked to every, every fight under the sun. He was fighting Amir Khan a couple of years ago. He was fighting Conor McGregor. Although, to be fair, from everything I've heard, if Conor McGregor would have beat Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier as expected, that McGregor-Pacquiao fight was pretty much done for the summer and would have happened. Wow. So um, Pacquiao, you know, he was talking to Mayweather again for a rematch a few years ago, and they were talking about that, and they were talking about all kinds of stuff. So Mikey Garcia, who knows? Yeah. But Top Rank seems to have a lot of confidence that the fight is going to happen. Um, do I think it's going to happen? I think it's a coin flip. I, I really don't know if it's going to. I think part of the issue with Pacquiao is that he has so many guys that are in charge of him, right? Like whether it's Adi Attar and Paradigm, or it's Sean right. Gibbons, the longtime manager who runs Manny Pacquiao promotions, or it's Michael Kahn's. And I was told Michael Kahn's is the one that brought this deal to the table. He's a longtime advisor. So wow. again, you never know who's in charge of Manny Pacquiao. It could, I think it changes by the day. So we'll see if it happens. But look, if, if Top Rank can make this happen, it's a massive fight. And it's yeah. what Terrence Crawford's badly needed. Because even at 42, Manny Pacquiao is still dangerous. Still a legend, of course. One of the greatest fighters of all time. And I know it was two years ago now. Pacquiao looked pretty damn good when he fought Keith Thurman in July of 2019. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I think I think from my perspective, the thing that's really curious about this this fight being announced is that, you know, we had such such toxic comments coming out of Bob Arum toward Terrence Crawford. And Terrence Crawford seemed to be for sure on his way out and leaving top rank based on, you know, the things that they had been said about, you know, not being able to get an Errol Spence fight, um, not being able to get a fight with any of the PBC guys. And then, uh, you know, so much talk about that Crawford fights are real money losers. But now getting Manny Pacquiao, is there any way, I mean, I, I could see a scenario where Crawford would say, this is the fight that I always wanted. I don't think Spence wants to fight me. Fuck it. You know, I've beaten Manny Pacquiao. Maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move up to 154 and see what's going on there and maybe stay with top rank. Is there any way that happens? Or do you think this parting still takes place um, no matter what happens between Pacquiao and Crawford? Top rank can deliver a Manny Pacquiao fight. That certainly could change everything with Terrence Crawford. Maybe at that point Crawford wants to stay or top rank wants to keep him. I think part of the issue also is that Crawford's minimum, I believe, is $4 million per fight. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of money. Is he going to get that much money again in any new contract with any promoter? I don't know. There's not many right. fighters that have that. Um, so that'll be that'll be one concern. But or one, or one factor to decide. But, you know, if all of a sudden if Terrence Crawford fights Manny Pacquiao and has a great performance, or you know, that can really change how big he is in the sport. Maybe at that yeah. point he's worth more money than he is right now. So I think that'll be you to Terrence Crawford. And it would still be, it'd be Yitra Pacquiao, too, to get another massive fight at this age and another chance for Pacquiao to add to his legacy. I mean, could you imagine if Manny Pacquiao beat Terrence Crawford? I mean, he could add another big name to his resume at 42 years old and really move up that mythical all-time great list, no? 
Oh, absolutely, Mike. And I, to me, it just goes to um, everything that Manny Pacquiao is all about. I mean, I, I wrote this when we when you had the breaking news uh, and they wanted just some reaction about it. You know, I'll never forget being there when Manny Pacquiao was having breakfast with Eric Morales and the boat, the two of them said, like, we're never going to take light touches on the way out to retirement. You know, it's always going to be who's the best available fighter. And the fact that, you know, there was so much talk. I'm not saying that Mikey Garcia, Mikey Garcia would have been a, a very good opponent uh, for Manny Pacquiao, given that he is a, a four division world champion. But the fact that he's saying, you know, bring on the best active welterweight in the world with Terrence Crawford is, I mean, it, it shows exactly what Manny Pacquiao's legacy is. If it's not already defined, it absolutely is. If he steps in the ring with Terrence Crawford at this stage of his career, um, you know, I, I guess you hope that it's not going to be a sad, sad ending like Ali versus Holmes. But, I mean, it just says so much about what Manny Pacquiao has brought to the sport, and that is just this willingness to take on any man you know, who wants to get in the ring with him, who is at the top of their game. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. And let's see if it happens again. Who knows if it happens or not? It's hard to say with these things, especially I mean, we have a lot of volatile factors here, right? We have some of Bob Adams favorites. We have the Middle East fights, right? Bob Adams has been talking about a Middle East fight for 20 years now. It seems. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, um, if, if Bob Adams could land the white whale of a big fight in the Middle East with Manny Pacquiao too, that would be a, that would be something for Bob Adams legacy too, maybe at 89 years old. So we'll Mike, see if it happens. Who knows? Yeah. Mike, I just got to tell you, cause I know you've heard, you've been through this before, but you can always tell when something is going on and something serious. When you call Bob Arum and you ask him a question about it and he says, I can't talk about that right now and hangs up the phone. And that's where it's at. <laughs> that's where it's at right now. So oh, look, did you good, call him? Yes. Good luck to him trying to put all this uh, together, all of these moving parts. Uh, but if anyone can do it, even at 89, I think it is Bob Arum. Man, you just know that kills Bob, too. He wants to talk about it so badly. <laughs> can't even help himself. But exactly. um, but speaking of uh, speaking of old guys trying to fight still, we have a lot of exhibitions, Lance. Miguel Cotto against Juan Manuel Marquez exhibition. There's a Anderson Silva versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. fight. Um, what gives here? I mean, I don't know how I feel about this fad, but I, I guess it's harmless. But do I really care about Cotto fighting Marquez in an exhibition? Not really. Uh, if they were fighting... You know, five years ago, even in a real fight, sign me up. Yeah, I, I, you know, look again. I think we're 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 getting into the area now, especially when you see all of these guys basically copying what Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. did. Um, it's it's clearly. I mean, you've confronted people on the show before about cash grabs. This is nothing more than a cash grab for these guys. I mean, right. they they want an opportunity. Uh, to get back in there, I'm not going to begrudge them the right to make money off their name. But I think that they risk, you know, with this with this onslaught, with this flooding of these types of fights, I think the interest is going to fade pretty rapidly because the quality of the fighting is just, you know, it's not what it is when, you, when you're talking about, I mean, some of the uh, fights that we're talking about on this show this week, you know, not just Frampton Herring, but um, MJ Akhmadalov and, you know, like... These guys, these guys are really bringing it. How many times do we uh, will fans be willing to sit down and uh, invest in pay per views for these older guys? Um, obviously, these other guys, uh, Cotto and Juan Manuel Marquez, you know, two gentlemen who have actually fought Manny Pacquiao, uh, want to get into it, and they're you know they're they're say, saying all the right things, and there is a market to sell. Anytime you get Puerto Rico versus Mexico, it's very interesting. And then Anderson Spider Silva. 
you know, long talked about wanting to box. He wanted to fight Roy Jones Jr. and Dana White would never let him. Now, you know, basically in retirement, he's going to be taking on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who's basically a decade younger than him. So this is a dangerous undertaking. I talked to someone who's pretty close to Spider Silva who said, like, you know, he shouldn't be fighting anymore. And if uh, the punishment that older fighters receive usually is pretty is pretty serious and intense. So I think out of all this, my curiosity is how long this will last. And it's, you know, it's not it's, it's almost like morbid curiosity, but it's a it's a wish that none of these guys take on the type of damage that is going to affect their life, you know, from this point forward. You know, let's hope that that none of that happens. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, you do worry about what kind of punishment they might take and really what this does to them. But you're right. Hey, look, they can make money. All good. I just need people to realize that these exhibition fights are not actual fights. They're not trying to hurt each other. So as long as people realize that all good, I don't think a lot of people do know the difference. So we'll see how these things go. It's definitely a big fatter right now on the back of the success of Tyson Jones Jr. And we'll see what continues to happen. Cause I do think Oscar De La Hoya is going to be in a real fight, not an exhibition and we'll see who it's against. But um, we have some real fights this weekend, Lance, besides Frampton Herring, you have MJ Aquadalia, the unified 122 pound champion. He's going to be fighting in Uzbekistan where he's a big star against Japan's Raisuke Iwasa. Uh, Iwasa is a pretty good fighter. I'm trying to remember who he was. He fought a couple of years ago. Um, do you know what I'm talking about Lance? Yeah, I, I see that he's uh, ranked very high. I haven't seen a lot of his fights, Mike, to be honest with you, but I know that he's uh, ranked very high. And I think for anything, like you said, I think the ultimate thing about this card that also includes um, Israel Madramov, the uh, very promising 154-pounder, um, is, is just about you know bringing these guys back to their home country and allowing them to celebrate. I mean, these guys were basically brought to the Southern California desert uh, territory, you know, of India to work under uh, Joel Diaz. And, you know, they've been missing their, they've been missing their home. They've been missing their family and they get an opportunity now to go back there and, and at least for MJ to stand as a, a world champion. It's quite, it's quite an accomplishment and it's a, it's a very nice move for the promoter Eddie Hearn to have done for these, uh, for these guys. And, and uh, the guy I was thinking of Lance was, TJ Doheny, that's who uh, Wasa oh, yeah. fought in 2018. He lost a controversial decision in a title fight, but he also came back and beat Cesar Juarez in the next fight after that. So that should be a good fight, I think. It should be a fun fight. It's a southpaw. And I think it's great, like you said, that these guys get to fight back in their homelands. I mean, Uzbekistan, it's crazy. When you look at a lot of the Uzbek fighters, they have massive, massive followings on Instagram. 1.5 million, 2 million. These guys are like legitimate like rock stars, it seems. And in their native country. And they have a lot of good fighters right now. You have Akwandaliev, like, like you mentioned, Madrimov. There's also uh, Bektamir Melkuziev, who was supposed to fight Kovalev before the PEDs. Yeah. And then we also have uh, Gyasov. So a lot of guys right now from Uzbekistan that are finding a lot of success. And like you mentioned, Joel, you, I know you had a story, I think it was a year or so ago, yeah. on all the Uzbeks training with Joel Diaz in, uh, in Palm Springs. So. Or maybe it's Indio. Um, I yeah. confuse the two. Right next to each other, yeah. Um, uh, no doubt, Mike. And then, the, you know, like, uh, uh, you had some news on a couple other fights that got announced uh, this pa- within the past week, Mike. Yeah, yeah, we reported on a couple of fights. Now those fights are official and announced. Jaime Munguia is going to be fighting Poland's Maciej Suletski 
on April 24th. That's going to be in El Paso, Texas. And what's interesting to me is, so that's a zone fight, obviously, Golden Boy fight. The fight was originally planned for that Friday, April 23rd, you know, but then the Andrew Rizariola fight got moved to May 1st. And now it's going to go on that Saturday. And it's going to be another afternoon fight, much like the Luke Campbell, Ryan Garcia fight, because they want to take advantage of Poland's big audience um, for the, you know, since the zone is a global app now. And, cool. you know, that I, I know that the Triple G versus Zarameta fight did well for the zone in Poland. So they're hoping the same here. Solewski's a big name in Poland. And I think Solewski has a pretty good step up fight for Mungia. Um, I think it's by far Mungia's toughest fight yet. Solewski's an experienced guy. He he had a good fight with Danny Jacobs. He lost to Demetrius Andrade. That wasn't such a good fight. But he's mm-hmm. a tough guy, and Munguia really hasn't fought anybody yet. So this should be a nice step up for him. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also had some news on Devin Haney. Yeah, so Devin Haney, Hoya Linares, that fight's been moved a lot too. That fight was originally looking at April 17th, and it got looking at May 15th. And then it was um, May 21st, the day before Taylor Ramirez. Finally, it lands on May 29th. That was officially announced yesterday. And another big step-up fight. Uh, Jorge Linares, by far, Devin Haney's best opponent. Yeah, I mean, he looked pretty good when he fought Carlos Morales. He had a knockout on the Ryan Garcia Fonseca on the card. That was, um, you know, a lot of people were thinking, still thinking about Linares. He had the first-round knockout loss to, Pablar, Pablo, ah, to Pablo Cesar Cano. That was in January of 2019 in Linares' last high-profile fight. When I say high-profile, I mean... It wasn't like the main event or anything, but it was a, a substantial matchup. And yeah, Lenars was knocked out in a round. That was at 140 pounds. Now he's back at 35. I do think Lenars presents a lot of problems for Haney um, in theory that will test Haney and make Haney a better fighter. You know, Lenars is still plenty fast. He's strong. He throws punches in beautiful combinations. So Haney's going to be the favorite for a reason. And I expect Haney to look good. And I think it's going to bring the best out of Haney. But Lenars, I think, still has something left. Yeah. No, I mean, look, Mike, I mean, now when you look at May, I mean, May is f- fully loaded. I mean, with Andy Ruiz on May 1st, Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders on May 8th, you've got um, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez on the 22nd. And now this fight, you know, you're absolutely right. De- Devin Haney has kind of like been begging for this, the type of fight that can allow him to showcase exactly how good he is. And I do think that he'll, he'll be tested by the by the very experienced Jorge Linares. But I think more than anything... It's going to be a, a a great opportunity for Devin Haney to to show off his skills and to show that in some moments of truth, you know exactly how how big his fighting heart is. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that fight. I think it's a it's a perfectly matched fight. But again, I'm going to say what I, I know a lot of the fans are thinking. You know, let's get into these guys. Let's get to these fights with these guys fighting each other. You know, Devin Haney, Tiafima Lopez, Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis, once he emerges, hopefully, from his uh, legal troubles. You know, I want to see these guys fighting each other. And let's, uh, let's you know, let's get past these uh, um, these alternate fights as quickly as possible. Absolutely, Lance. And that is going to be our show for today. Looking forward to the fight on Saturday. Jamel Herring versus Carl Franson on ESPN+. Plus. And then there'll be the fights in the zone also in the afternoon. So a big fight weekend, of course, as always.